This is Live Booleans, where Costa and Alex chat about, well, game dev things. Video games, dev culture, tech, game design, events, and all the other stuff they love to nerd out on. So, thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Live Booleans. My name's Costa, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Hey, everyone. So this week we are speaking with Ash, Ashley Ringrose from SMG Studio. Welcome, Ash. Hey, thanks for having me on. Is it Ash or Ashley? Which one did you want us to? I'm I'm fine either way, yeah. Cool, awesome, awesome. Cool, so SMG Studio publishes a lot of games. Um, They put out a lot of games on different platforms. So um, how about just giving a bit of a rundown on on the company um, and its beginnings and also your journey into what is now SMG Studio. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a big topic. Uh, I mean, SMG Studios uh, been around since 2013, um, founded out of a digital agency that I ran. We kind of split it off the team to create SMG uh, to focus on our own uh, IP and, and to make games. Uh, previously to that, we made a lot of like flash games, ad for games, CD-ROMs, banner ads, you name it, social media campaigns. Um, and we, we got that funding through uh, Screen Australia, the, the games fund. So that happened in 2013 and that was about a team of three, three and a half. And now we're about a team of 30 with a studio in Melbourne and a small studio in um, LA. Um, and yeah, like I said, we publish a lot of different games. Um, I mean, sorry, we published one, but we create our own games, um, variety of styles, variety of platforms. And I think that variety is what's kind of kept us as a viable studio. So we've been in both mo- mobile hyper casual, mobile, you know, uh, paid. Uh, we've got console titles, we've got PC titles, um, we've got titles uh, on Apple Arcade. And yeah, so a- across a variety of kind of formats, uh, business models. And, you know, w- when we pitched for the initial uh, Screen Australia funding, our, our thing was like, well, we're, we're going to make smaller games and we're going to make more. We're going to do six in three years. And the feedback we got was like, well, six games in three years is a lot. Um, you know, because again, we were used to making games in like two months uh, for advertising. And so we're like, oh, well, we'll take six months. Like that's heaps of time. Um, but that was the feedback that we got. And so we, I think we changed it to like three games in three years. And we ended up doing that. We've done about now uh, 12 games in eight years total. So, uh, you know, again, everything from hyper casual, which are very small uh, timelines to, you know, larger games and like risk, which we've been running now for five years. We've been working on that for five years now. Um, so yeah, variety of games, variety of models. Um, and I think it kind of suits our studios kind of, uh, desire to kind of want always make new games. Uh, you know, risk is different. That's probably the only one we've had long-term, uh, kind of development on and we keep adding things to it to kind of keep it interesting. But yeah, we're, we're, we're more about, you know, Hey, that, that game was fun. Let's move on to the next one. And probably to the lack of some of the success where we could have like milked a few other games a bit longer by constantly updating them. But we're like, oh, we're already bored of that game. So we're going to move on to the next one. Um, but we're moving on to bigger and bigger games now. So with moving out, that was a larger game. That was about 18 mm-hmm. months, two years development. Co- co-worked on that with uh, DevM Games. Um, you know, I'd known Yarn for a while. So that was our co-dev. Yeah, so that was about two years. And so that's kind of our sweet spot now is that two, two year, two and a half year dev uh, larger projects while still having these smaller projects like Apple Arcade or or Risk going on in the background. Um, 
Is it a standard practice to, um, I guess, I mean, what's standard in this industry, but like <laughs> yeah. to um, have a studio that diversifies like with the platform? Like usually from what we've, you know, if people we've talked to, they'll either stick to mobile, they stick to console and they form their niche in there. Um, you've said it, it suits the strength of your your team. Is it something you've seen other teams do? Uh, I think I, we've just kind of gone where the opportunities are. I mean, the one opportunity I didn't explore was VR because I felt very um, almost like a dead end for us. Like, because, you know, if you make something very specific that's really great for VR, it only works on VR. So we want to make games that could go on different platforms. Um, we've just, yeah, kind of gone with the flow. It wasn't an initial business plan. The business plan originally was just mobile games. Um, I think there's other studios. Um, I'm trying to think now that they make a variety of games, but I don't know if they make a variety of platforms, um, you know, like Blowfish um, up in Sydney do mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, they publish a lot of games and across many things as well. That's, they're pretty close to us. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, there, pro- there probably are other studios out there. Not, not off the top of my head yet. Cause there are the ones that like, you know, they just specialize in just mobile and do really well. And then there's other ones that, you know, kind of anywhere and everywhere, you know, the, the ones I don't want to compare myself to, cause they're, they're so great, you know, like clay, um, you know, to console mobile, um, and everything in between. So, yeah. Is there any like, um, thinking with it, like that, the mobile games, um, uh, how do I say this? Like that, the console ones, cause they're more, cause they're like what you would call like a premium product. Are they the more passion driven projects? Uh, well, I mean, moving out definitely became a passion project because, you know, it was really fun working on it. Um, but we, we still treat our mobile titles as passion projects. I think we like the smaller ones. Um, you know, you look at Sping and that was, you know, the reason we went to the Apple Arcade was so we didn't have to do, you know, the free-to-play mechanics or the ads and all that stuff that, you know, does take a lot of work. Um, Risk is now on PC. We, we just published on PC or Steam last year. Um, you know, that's a passion project, not only because I used to play Risk as a kid, uh, but also, you know, we're able to do a lot of things that, you know, like we can make maps that add to the, you know, the world of risk. We can learn about, you know, retention of players and monetization. So, you know, it, it scratches a lot of itches. So for us, it's as long as the game is fulfilling game design wise, it becomes a passion project. Um, and it is hard. Like we, we've struggled, like, you know, two years is a good time because after that it becomes quite hard to see the forest for the trees when you're working on a game like oh is this game any good we've worked on it for so long and so with mobile games if they're you know six months or a year or less um you're able to get them out quite quickly and and get people's reactions to them and then update them and that's quite satisfying then you know i've spoken to other studios that work on games for five years and i i don't i don't know how how the team can stay motivated that long and you know that's all strength to them to be able to do that but for us it's like wow we're you know, the fun part is in the the concepting, the prototyping, and like, yeah, this is a really fun mechanic. And then it's like you start adding content, and that's all fun. And then it just goes on and on. You're like, well, oh, then you're basically shooting gameplay and localization and mm. um, fixing bugs, and that's where your your kind of motivation drops down. So, mm. um, yeah, I think I think as a, for us, the, the projects we like doing are mechanically driven, and you can have a lot of fun with the kind of uh, gameplay and solving problems. And then we'll add a fun story in over the top, but we're definitely not a story-driven studio. So 
but for us, it, that's that's a satisfying you know passion project where it's like, wow, we, we really like this mechanic. It's fun to play, and you watch other people play it, and you go, yes, that's that's the reaction we wanted from people. It's interesting. I mean, I've play, you know I've been playing Moving Out, and it's it's definitely nothing like you know it's, I haven't played anything like that before, and it's really cool okay. that you can take a new mechanic like that and you know create a whole game around it like um, i've been looking at it and analyzing it and you know finding out all the different things that make it cool and dynamic um what's it been like i guess because that's on consoles and it's on you know your more traditional platforms to get that feedback loop and get all that um you know information in to to be able to iterate and, and make it a better game yeah we we did a lot of play testing for moving out um so i probably I think we did about 200 um, different individual playtests where we Whoa. either sent people a build, but most of the time we got people into the office, sat them down, set up a webcam and recorded their screen and just said, just play and tell us what you're feeling. And so less of a bug testing, more just to see how they flowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we would, you know, sometimes we'd get two or three groups in. We'd have um, someone, you know, kind of organizing those on our team and then we'd record them, upload them to YouTube, send them to the designers, and we'd all kind of go through them and kind of make our notes. And I'd watch it like 1.75 speed on YouTube and we'd go like, oh, you know, we'd find bugs like, hey, this went out of bounds, this is this, but also like, wow, every team got stuck on this one section. All right, we'll, we'll make it more obvious. Or every team failed that level the first time and then they solved it the second time. And it's like, oh, okay. And so that that's where the real game design debates happen where it's like, well, do we make it so it's more obvious so they don't fail the first time? Or is that actually good that they fail the first time? Um, and th- those are the more heated discussions because there's no right or wrong answer to those. And a lot of, the, I'd say a lot of the success of the game was doing those play tests and having that just, you know, hours and hours of um, gameplay footage that we could watch and go, oh, yeah, yeah, we can see that people are struggling with this mechanic. Mechanic being like, you know, um, you know, throw, you know, jump and throw or, mm-hmm. you know, herding the animals into the truck. That was probably the most controversial one because we couldn't, you know, I was pushing for letting them fail. The team, you know, made it so it's like, oh, we want to make it more obvious that you have to barricade them in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that definitely helps. And, and we showed them at shows like PAX. And, you know, for me, showing a game at PAX is almost like a energizing your batteries because, like, if you get to see people up front that never played it before. They'll get excited. You also get some gameplay kind of... Um, usage from that but it's also just really um kind of spirit boosting where you go oh yes you know people are loving the game you know it gives you like an energy an energy boost um and you know with the pandemic it's it's quite interesting like not having those events it's been like oh my whole year is like it's much less chaotic because i'm not (laughs) having to get up at 4 a.m and stuff but um luckily you know we're not releasing a, a title for a little while but i think those those events are really important to you know kind of boost the morale of the team and and also just sense check, you know, are people getting the game? You know, are they understanding it? Like, just grab a controller. Like, I think a lot of our games are very much like, people pick up a controller, don't worry about the instructions and just go for it. Uh, very accessible. Um, and so those games show, I think, really well at shows like PAX where, you know, they don't have time to read a lot of text or, you know, there's not a one-hour intro or anything like that. So, um, but, you know, those platforms... Um, you have to go through those events and those manual play tests to get that um, level of feedback. For mobile, definitely for Sping, we, we used to think of uh, play test cloud, and you basically send people a build onto their phone. Um, you can't see them, but you can see where their fingers go and you can hear their voice. And they've been told to like kind of 
speak out what they're thinking. And that was really interesting. Like we, we had a, um, a lot of great, you know, kind of like, oh, yeah, everyone's making this mistake. That means that, you know, it's not, not their mistake, it's our mistake, so we'll fix that. Um, it's, it was just, you know, when our game's so abstract and simple of like touch anywhere on the screen, because it's so basic in terms of like what you have to do, like people interpret that in many different ways. So we had people like tapping the top of the screen and covering half the screen so they couldn't see. And they're like, oh, or they're just tapping like, you know, like this. And it's like, no, we want you to tap and let go, tap and let go. Mm-hmm. And because you're not there to tell them, um, it's it's actually really good to see like oh, this is what a user would experience. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we need to be really uh, really obvious with you know the instructions or step them through it because you know we, we we're like playtesting like okay, is this level too hard? Like level fifty, and it's like they're struggling on level two, and it's like ah oh, okay yeah yeah we, mm-hmm. we haven't we haven't explained how s- the the game is so simple that it tricks people because they think like it's more complicated than it is. You know, they're like tapping around the nodes or yeah. you know. You know, it's like no, 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 don't do that. And or they'd grab the phone like a, you know, like like this, yeah. and they'd be touching, the, they'd be touching the side of the screen with their fingers, uh. and then they would go, oh, the tap's not working, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah. you're like you're holding it like a like a you know like a giant. So, you know, all all those all those things um, are really important for like getting that feedback early from your players. Um, so so mobile, we have Playtest Cloud. It's it's a lot easier. Like upload. Wake up in the morning. Hey, it's all done because they're all done in you know US or UK. Um, you can choose where they are. Um, whereas with console and stuff, it's a lot more um, you know yeah manual labor to do that. But it's really mm-hmm. important. And do you I guess do you look at um, people with varying levels of experience? I mean, you know, you're more entry level, and then you got hardcore gamers and gamers that enjoy the challenge, gamers that enjoy this and that. Is it? I mean, I guess that yep. would, they would pick the, the games that they want to engage with and, and that as well from, from PlayCloud as well. Yeah, oh, so PlayCloud, you choose the level. So you can say, oh, yeah. um, it, that's that's why it's really good. You can say, like, what type of games do they like? Yep. And it's like, oh, I want someone who likes, you know, casual games, how mm. old they are, their game experience. Um, and so we, we chose both varieties. We chose, you know, older players that are more casual, you know, like you match threes. And then you kind of, you know, Call of Duty, Fortnite on mobile, you know, kind of younger, you know, hardcore and, and compared them. Um, and so when, when they're both having a good time, you know, uh, obviously because yeah. Sping's very abstract and Sping appeals to that wider set, you can you can tune in. With, with moving out, we had, because we didn't have like a, you know, upload to a CMS, it was a lot more um, game students. So from SAE, AIE, mm-hmm. um, they, mm-hmm. they play a game students game design students play a game very differently than um than a normal person because they're trying yeah. to like break it down um, so we always yeah. ask them yeah so we ask them to bring in their friends i would go onto the nintendo switch facebook group and i would say hey who wants to play, you know who's in sydney who wants to play test the game or in melbourne um and get in the credits and we would get them food and um give them a copy of the game as well that was good so nintendo fans that are just like oh i'm just on a fan page and I'm just going to spend, you know, two hours in your office and playing games. This is cool. Again, they play it very differently as well. And we kept having to get fresh eyes. So we'd have people who have never played the game before, so we can do the first bunch of levels. And the hardest one was then, like, people who played it before, like, can you come back in and do the last batch of levels? Yeah. So it's very logistically challenging just to organize people, like, even like this podcast, you know, like organizing enough, you know, four people, up to four people that have played it before, that have two hours plus to spare. So 
yeah, it's it's a lot of work, but it does pay off. But yeah, you have to have both fresh people who've never played, people who've played a lot. Um, obviously, harder to get kids in, so it's like, hey, can you bring your kids mm, in, yeah. um, or bring your friends who you know aren't hardcore gamers? So yeah, you, you kind of have to, uh, you know, as many as possible, and then you kind of you know filter out the noise and stuff. So you're always like, scrambling to to find people, organize them to come in. It's a lot of logistics yeah. around it. Yeah, so we had, you know, producers or, um, you know, our kind of QA team would kind of organizing it. We'd have like a calendar set up and, you know, sometimes it flows really well. It's like, oh, you're in at 12, you're, you're in at 2, you're in at 4, and they're just flowing in. Then but people, you know, cancel on you uh, or they, yeah, you know, yeah, they're late yeah. and stuff. Um, and sometimes we'd have too many videos. But like, wow, we had four playtests in one day. It's like, well, oh, team can't process <laughs> all those videos. Yeah. So we have to kind of be, we have to be very strict. Like, oh, we'll do it on Mondays and Wednesdays. And then, you know, like you almost have to have a, a cadence to it because yeah. when they were just coming in every couple of days, it's like, oh, we haven't even had a chance to update the bill for the feedback of the first batch. So we we worked out a good flow of like, you know, we'll get a couple in on Monday and then we'll work on that feedback, upload it, get a new bill for Wednesday, do that. And then we'll discuss on Friday and then repeat the process. But um, obviously, I think, you know, bigger studios probably have a whole team for that. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, it was just a, yeah. It's 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 not hard. It's just logistically challenging. Mm. You know, like yeah. wrangling a lot of people. And um, at at one point, I was like, oh, we're going to have to go down to Broadway Shopping Center and just and just wrangle people in. Like, hey, do you want to earn twenty dollars? <laughs> you know, like because yeah. uh, we we kind of tapped out the entire um, game design students that were willing yeah. to come in. You know, yep, yep. Uh, we had because we had AIE, SAE, AIT, JMC, and Western Sydney like yeah. all coming in but it's you know after over you know like i said we did 200 it's like you tap out that audience pretty quick so yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. is there a like a key time to begin the play testing in a game's development like i imagine too early in people may not understand the vision you're going for and you might be tempted to change it and they're basing it off of a game they've already played but if you leave it too late then you might not catch things yeah oh uh, th- uh, I mean, you could say there's n- it's never too early. Um, if your game, like ours, if your games are very mechanically driven, you can, like Sping, um, you could play that with just a red a red ball with a lot of grey boxes, and you could tell if it was still fun or not. Or w- we knew it was fun, but whether it would be um, pick-up-and-play ability for, you know, random people. So for those type of games, it's very easy to kind of come in, like, you know, week two and just... Just get some hands-on with people. That one, you usually just want to sit down in front of them and just, you know, say, hey, just check this out and just watch and see if they kind of get it. Um, Moving out, um, we already had a pretty good, robust prototype and playable. Um, But, yeah, that that, that was more not to know if the game's going to be good or not, just that was more for, like, a level design point of view. So, for one, you could have a really early one to see, does the game actually work mechanically? So that's a really early play test. So just so you know, like, Hey, are you having fun or as much as fun as us or so you got that one and then the other one later on could be for like level design and you know and user flow and stuff um so it's kind of almost two two tracks but you'd for me you'd want to get people in start showing people early as possible to kind of just make sure like like i'm i'm having fun with this game mechanic so once you have a kind of playable loop and you know something you know that you can just give to people without too much instruction that's when i would do my first bunch of tests yeah. This so and, and this pick up this pick up and play philosophy talking about basically you want your games to be yeah, um, yeah pick up play through the instruction manual out is that yeah. 
where where does that come from? Is that from your experiences that's, growing that's, up? Like, what, oh, no, what sort of inspired that, you? Well, that's from mobile because mobile. You know, yep. no one no one reads anything on mobile. Yep. Um, and and also now because I'm a dad and we've got a lot of dads and parents in the office, um, you know, you you know that people don't have as much. Not, not just enough time, but they also want to have their time respected mm-hmm. for that. Um, totally different story if you're Kojima or, you know, someone very famous or you have mm-hmm. a huge IP because they've spent $60 on your game. Like, they're going to they're gonna trudge through whatever you throw at them. But when you have a, you know, a smaller title and, you know, you can't command that um, almost that respect of uh, disrespect of their time, you have to treat their time, you have to treat the player's time with as much respect as possible. But a lot of it's come from mobile, you know, like, you have to hook someone really quickly and then, you know, ease them into the complexity and, you know, and retain them as well. So, you know, I see a lot of um, games on console where it's like, wow, you know, like they don't care about retention at all because it's like, you know, you bounce really hard on that because it's you're trudging through those first levels. But they don't have to because it's you know, it's a premium game. Mm-hmm. Whereas on mobile, it's like, you know, if you're not drawing them in and hooking them, you know, you'll lose them, especially free to play. So... Um, I think for us, it's, yeah, we're, we're just kind of trained, and especially even from advertising games as well. It's like those ones, it's like, hey, play our game. It's it's for a Toyota. And they'd be like, oh, I don't know, Toyota. It's like, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is kind of fun, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, you've really got, a sh- you know, you've really got to get them in 30 seconds or, or less. So, so yeah. do, you, do you feel that the, the experience that you had with making those advertising games definitely tied into you know, making those kind of games where it's just easy to play, pick up, mobile, short experiences. Yeah, oh, yeah 100%. Like the, you know, Newgrounds and Flash Kick games, those, yeah. you know, what kids would play, free, you know, type in free games, play on your browser, you know, th- those have all moved over to mobile. But, you know, we grew up making those and playing those. Um, a lot of kids did. You know, there's a lot of Flash games alumni that I think are making those kind of like really, you know, hook hook driven mechanically driven games um mm-hmm. super you know super meat boy was uh uh was it mm-hmm. um edmund and and that were you know we're, we're on on new grounds all the time so you know that that whole um almost yeah flash alumni have kind of moved on to making games in that way but yeah i i just i've played some you know some games where it's like wow they just don't respect your time at all um, or yep. they treat you really stupid, you know, like, um, I think once I played Breath of the Wild, I couldn't go back to other open world games because they treat you so stupidly, but Breath of the Wild definitely, I don't know if it respects your time, but it respects your intelligence. And so you, you don't, yep. you don't mind struggling on something cause it's like, oh, I had to work it out for myself versus mm. other games where it's like, they treat you like an idiot or it's like, Hey, go 50 steps this way. And it takes hold your hand the whole way, but also makes you go through all these annoying cutscenes and just, you know, I find myself skipping a lot of cutscenes, but the first word yeah. kind of gets you through. It's like, danger, uh, 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 dragon, uh, 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 fire. Uh, uh. It's like, cool, dragon <laughs> fire, let's go, you know. Yeah. Um, only a few times I've been playing Assassin's Creed and I've like, I've skipped through the dialogue, you know, like you meet someone, hey, and I skip through the dialogue oh, yeah, and then suddenly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, suddenly I'm fighting them and I'm like, oh, I don't know what I did, but <laughs> yeah. all right, let's fight, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like, just get me to the quest, you know, skip skip past the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, 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 you know. Um, but yeah, they're different mentalities as well. Um, we we also don't have the, the the size of the game that, you know, I don't want to be writing if I'm going to write thousands of lines of dialogue, I would almost write it as a, uh, uh, on like to make fun of games that have thousands of long lines of dialogue, you know, yeah. 
because I, I said to Mike who wrote um, a lot of the dialogue almost pretty much all the dialogue for moving out it's like wow you know we need a dialogue tree almost from like Monkey Island where it's like the dialogue tree just lasts 20 minutes and it's just back and forward and I'm only doing it just to make fun of the fact that some games have 20 minutes of dialogue you know yeah, yeah. Um, that one that one didn't make the cut but you know I, I much prefer like focus on the gameplay side of things yeah. yeah, I love the uh, dialogue tree in in moving out. Just the back and forth uh, humor, you know. Yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't uh, tiring in any way. It was just great. Oh yeah, yeah, and that that was from Team Seventeen as well. They were like, you know, people just care about the game. You know, you know, just get to the gameplay quickly, and so make make the story you know skippable. It doesn't matter, but you know, we want to add some little punchlines in there. Um, if, if we do add more to it, I would add it as like a side quest where, you know, you suddenly go into this really deep dialogue tree, but again, I, I'm, I'm doing it from a, uh, like a comedy point of view that it's so yeah, long yeah, yeah. and back and forward that that's part of the joke, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Although with, with, with some games, like, because you have to localize it, if you have a really long joke like that, it's like, wow, that joke is going to cost us like $800 to localize. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, every every joke. language needs to be, yeah, it's a very expensive joke. And then it's like, oh, you know, a lot of times, like, I'll be tweaking the dialogue with Mike. And it's like, oh, I can't tweak that joke because then we have to go back and localize, you know, 20 different languages. That, you know, sometimes it's like 13 cents, 15 cents a word. And oh, so wow. that's, um, you know, our games are quite small, but I, I know of other games where it's like, wow, you know, our localization cost is like $100,000 to localize oh, the game. God, and you're yeah. like, Whoa. and you think like, <laughs> oh, yeah, like 50,000 words times 20 languages times 13 cents, um, you know, it, it adds up. So, yeah. And it's not like a, you can't. I, I had my auntie i'm italian she was like oh i'll translate your game into italian i'm like uh, i don't know if it's how it's gonna work <laughs> yeah oh yeah she she says that and then you're like grandma or oh, mom you know like I, I need those words by wednesday you yeah. Know, we're, we're, yeah i'll get and, to oh, that I, yeah and it's like oh you know and also here's another 20 pages of dialogue because we've we've changed it all and yeah. she's like oh this google yeah. sheet's killing me son yeah. like, <laughs> and then it's the yeah. like does the joke make sense uh, in uh, yeah. the the region, or do they even have a word yeah. for what you're saying? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think it. that's that's definitely um, what we've found is it's also good to you almost have to translate it twice. You need to localize it, and then have someone who you know who's a friend. Like, can you take a quick glance over this to just to make sure? Because it's very easy to miss. You know, yeah, like Aussies use so much slang. It's very easy to miss slang that you that you don't even know slang. Or they've misinterpreted a meaning of something um, completely out of context, and so that's we've done that a few times. Like we've paid for localization; it's gone out there because you just trust. Like you know, I don't speak Russian, so I assume that's right. Yeah. And then we have people going, "Oh, your Russian translation's terrible," and it's like, "What?" And then they, you know, then they pick like five lines that are wrong out of yeah. thousands. But you know, like so, Risk has a lot of dialogue, but um, but you still, it's very hard to you know sense check that. So you almost have to do it twice. Or you know, once and then a, and then a glance over. Um, so maybe your mum could you know like do do the QA QA of the localization just to sense check. You know, um, but it it takes a lot. And so a lot of the times you'll write the dialogue and then you have to write like a um, an explanation thing like oh this is purposely the wrong meaning of the word you know red or um, you know like you give a bit of context for each one and and that's quite um, time consuming as well. You know, because especially if you're trying to do not just comedy stuff, but, 
you know anything you know um you know this this relates to the the big door that they're struggling to push you know um just to give them context because they they can't see the game they just see the dialogue only so Mm. yeah Yeah, there's weight behind it when you say um a joke costs eight hundred dollars yeah yeah Yeah, if if the joke is just like one really like we're just going to put this in just as a really silly long dialogue tree and it's like oh really it's like Okay, no, we'll, we'll save that for later. Um, <laughs> and and so if you look at Sping, uh, comparing No Way Home to Sping, Sping has very little language in it. It's like if if we can use an icon, that's what mm. I want. You know, like mm. um, congratulations or well done. You know, like keep it as simple as possible. Um, and and also I find those games that don't require a lot of language. You know, you know work really well for you know young and old and any language. So you you know you're not worried about just reading a lot of dialogue. So um yeah so with sping we specifically made it as simple as possible with as you know that's why we did the tutorials like you know if you can show with an icon and really step them through it then we don't have to tell them because also people don't read those instructions but yeah it was also an it was also an effort just to save ourselves you know um uh, iterations of localization yeah all this links up so you got the Localization, play testing, all this stuff. It's yeah. how how do you, how do we facilitate people just not reading what we need them to read? Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, because because like I, I we literally had I think we had um tap to tap to grab. I can't remember what we had for spin the exact words, but it literally said like tap to swing, and then you and then you know people just like they just glaze over it and they're just swiping the whole way. Like, <laughs> Why are you swiping? And you sit, you're not saying that. It's in your head. You're like, why is this person swiping? Like, what are they doing? And it's yeah. like, all right. So what if we just say the word tap? I'm just going to write one letter, one word, tap. Um, and then you have to de- – and then it was like, you know what? People are still swiping. So it's like, okay, we need to detect swipe and then have it flash the word. You know, like mm. – yeah, so that, that's where that playtesting comes in. It's like you really have to like go um, – and it's not – like dumb it down for them it's like you have to just know that people are trained to do certain things and it becomes muscle memory for them so they're like you know if you don't have a button on screen they're like well what do i do it's like i guess i swipe it you know it's like Mm -hmm. "Ah, okay so yeah people are trained by so many apps to do things and if your game does something different you have to you know really really teach re 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 reteach them how to do things you know yeah um, but before with the um, we we talking moving out and you mentioned Team Seventeen, um, yep. that's like it's like it's for indie publishers. That's indie, sorry, developers. That's like a Shangri La almost for publishers to get with. Yeah, how was yeah. um, how did that come about and how was that working with them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we premiered the moving out game on the kind of funny showcase. Um, mm. So Greg, you know, I said, Greg, I've got this game and I want to show it. And he's like, is this exclusive? And I'm like, yes. He's like, great. It's coming. You know, we have this showcase up. And so that was our really kind of like coming out moment for the game. And um, and then so Team 17 saw it, um, sent us an email. And we were like, you know, obviously there's definitely an audience crossover on Overcooked. The games play very differently. Mm. But from the out, from the first glance and, the and, you know, the audience profile, like there's a cross, huge crossover with Overcooked. And... The teaming up with Team 17 also meant that, you know, Jan at DevM and us, we, we didn't have to keep second-guessing ourselves. Like I said, there's a lot of decisions where um, there's no wrong answer. It's like, you know, they're both right. And so by having Team 17 and the designers that worked on Overcooked 2 and worked on Overcooked, 
you know, we could say like, what do you think? You know, we've got we've got these two decisions to make, and you know, they could they could be the impartial or you know the kind of educated third party, and so that definitely helped us a lot with um, just knowing not to you know like, hey, we're going to add this mode and this mode, and we'll do this feature, and they're like, don't worry about those features because they're not the they're not the priority, and you can you can always put them in later, and we're like, ah, oh, okay, because we had like a versus mode where you would um, uh, you know play against each other. And they said, look, that wasn't a huge, hugely used, used play part of um, Overcooked 2. So if you could spend that time making the game better, do that. And we're like, oh, okay, let's do that. So we didn't even have to worry about that. So it allowed us to kind of cut the scope and focus the scope to, to what was good. So, and, and also they helped us, you know, with level designs and, you know, gave feedback. Um, so that was really good as well. Just that kind of game design feedback where it's like, oh, okay, you know, try this or, hey, the controls could be tighter here. Um, less platformy so yeah it was not just obviously the publishing and taking all that kind of um, hassle away from us it was that extra level of game design knowledge because they are game developers allowing us to kind of focus and you know kind of um, tune the game better um, mm. and you know that's that's a value that you know uh, that, that there's a lot of a lot of value there as well because uh, and you know we delivered the game on we delivered the game ahead of schedule um, we, we push it back a little bit, like where they said, like you're going to need at least six months to polish, and also to go through certification for the different consoles. And so we're like, oh, okay, wow, six months. But um, so we we delivered it under that because we passed all of our console certs first go because of Team 17's team were really good at you know doing all the QA on the the console ports. So we did all the console porting in house, but they did all the QA for that, um, you know, the, the hardcore QA of uh, certification, which is. Um, you know, a lot more involved and a lot more methodical um, and got us through past all 10, uh, you know, because we had a demo as well. So we had a demo, a live version and a day one patch. So three platforms, three different builds, all past first go um, and then Steam. So it was like 10 certifications first go. So Team 17 got us that, got through that pretty easily. Yeah. And, 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 and console certs, or console certs, like everything from like, plug-in like in xbox i know there's one that's like boot up on xbox one or on, on xbox a sorry um log into your account and then start the game then go to a separate xbox log in to that game with that account and then go back to x the first xbox and has it logged you out of that one you know so mm. that type of testing requires like multiple xbox dev kits multiple checking pause the game and then wait 12 hours and then unpause it does the game work you know oh, that wow. type of testing yeah. you know um because people will do that in in real life so yeah that type of testing is just methodical and takes time and you know so team 17 got us through all of that you know really nicely because they have a huge team for that yeah and they and um a good thing with that is they sort you out you know they, they saw your yeah. game so there's almost like a a real vested interest in on their part to to get through that process and get that game out yeah and i think a lot of i think the the dynamics definitely change there's Depending on the game you've got, um, you know, you'll have some some games where multiple publishers are approaching them and, you know, reaching out. So you, you kind of like, oh, I don't have to do any biz dev. It's all coming to us. And that happened with us with moving out. Then you've got other games where it's like you have to pound the pavement and, you know, knock on the doors um, to get the publishers, you know, interested. And it really depends on the title. If you've got a bit of hype around it, um, they all have a lot of scouts now. So there's people that, you know, specifically seek out... Um, you know, interesting games for their publishing arms. And so it's, you know, getting the attention of them.
but yeah, it, it is good when they come to you because it's like, um, and and luckily we already had a you know a pitch deck and all that stuff ready to go, so we we're ready to to roll. Um, but yeah, def- definitely helps when they when they see the the synergy with their audience. They see that you know the game is different. You know when they played it, they're like, oh, this is great. It's not like overcooked. If it was overcooked, but you move furniture, they wouldn't have been interested because it's like it's the same game. You know, mm. but it was different, and it but it had a good crossover with the audience, so they were very keen. So it's good for us. Yeah. And was that just something that was a natural fit in terms of like you know you didn't start off thinking this is a cool game that would suit well with you know the audience of Overcooked. It was just here's a cool concept you want to test it out and think it would be fun. Yeah. When so Jon showed me a very early prototype, um, and I think I've tweeted about it like where you're just, you know, two little kind of blobs moving furniture. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And at that point, I hadn't played Overcooked. I knew what Overcooked was. But at that point, I hadn't played it. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. Um, and I can see the, you know, the potential and the different game mechanics there of, you know, scoring and stuff. At that point, it had scoring. And, you know, when you smashed into walls, you lost points. And mm-hmm. you would, if you damaged stuff. Um, but I could see the potential there. And then, because we'd just come off uh, Death Squared, and so for Jon, it was like, oh, you guys have done local co-op multiplayer games. That's this one. He's like, this game is too big just for me alone. Um, so I said, oh, you know, we should partner up. Um, but knowing that, like, I hadn't played Overcooked, but knowing that Overcooked had been a success shows me that, like, okay, there is an audience there. There's a market. And, you know, we can add to that. You know, if they like playing that, they'll probably like playing this. So mm-hmm. that was that was kind of good from a you know testing the market point of view and then we played overcooked and was like oh okay yeah yeah i can see the similarities but you know luckily our game's very you know not kind of so much task driven it's more you know rules driven but but the best thing for overcooked success was like knowing like okay there's an audience for this and people still want to play those type of games because um you know it's it's not a you know survival game or it's not a shooter or something like that do you think uh covid's had an impact on the couch co-op uh, genre or game game yeah, mechanic, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we came out peak, you know, we came out April 28th, so we came out peak, you know, COVID lockdown. And it's a, you know, it's kind of a double-edged um, sword because in some ways there's people locked down with their families in their house and they're like, we're so bored, we've got nothing else to do, let's play a board game or let's, you know, we can't just watch movies together all the time on Netflix, so let's play games together. And there's a very small group of games that are family-friendly that anyone can play from kids to adults and play together and enjoy. Um, and so in that way, like, we had a captive audience. But then there's also, you know, a lot of people where it's like, well, I usually bring people, I go over to my friend's house or they come over to my house for drinks and we play games. We can't do that. So I think they kind of, they probably balanced each other out. Um, I don't think it was like completely detrimental. I mean, in hindsight, I would have loved to have added online multiplayer. Um, But for us, it was a, you know, uh, do you add an extra 12 months development to it and hope you needed it? Or can you get away without doing it? And we could, but, you know, it would have been better with it. Um, Hindsight's obviously 2020. Um, we, we also released a physical edition, but you couldn't see it in stores. Like, uh, you know, yeah. I went into the I went into the EV games and it was like, you know, got, you know, no one else is around. It's like, oh, there's my game on the shelf, but like, <laughs> no one's going to see it because the whole mall's pretty much shut. Um, so, th- you know, that was kind of, you know, but people are still buying the games, you know, through the online stores. Um, 
but yeah, I think I think it's almost balanced out because you have couples that are stuck inside together. Yeah. You have families, but there was still also a lot of single player people are like, I'm stuck at home, I can't get to my friend's house, I can't play. Um, but I think it's almost balanced out. But yeah, the the, the best audience for us is. You know, you're already housemates, or you're a couple, or you're a family, um, because then you can, you know, kind of punch the other person, or yell at them, or you know, work together, or grab their controller and do it for them. Um, you know, and there's still a lot of people that play that way as well. I've definitely um, had that experience. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good that um, the because uh, you said if you if you could, you wish you could have online multiplayer, but you you still got it published, like. Um, it, that didn't scare off the publishers or anything like that because we've definitely heard stories yeah. of you know games that publishers have just been like that's cool come back when you've got online multiplayer or something and as you just yeah. said like i can't add 12 months to it you know yeah and, and it's 12 months and also just it's not just 12 months dev it's also a huge amount of qa um for certification so you know if if this is if this is the size of certification without online then you add like i don't know if that's showing like it's it's, yeah. it's like two, two and a half times more just for online because there's just so many more hoops that go through and with a new ip and a new game you know you, you, it's a it's a risk versus reward type scenario it's like but by adding this extra time and, and effort and stress you know it is got it, it should increase the the reward but you don't know so you know, we, we took a more conservative approach there. But yeah, I think I think for publishers to say, hey, come back when it's got online multiplayer, for them, it's going to cost them nothing, right? It's, you know, it's like, yeah. oh yeah, come back when it's online multiplayer. So, it, you know, it makes my job as a publisher, you know, my bet even safer. But yeah, for the dev, yeah. it's like, well, then I've got to work an extra 12 months, you know, like that's a huge investment for them, um, especially when the publisher's not paying for it. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a tough one. And you know, I've seen so many single-player games do really well. So, you know, part of me is like, I just want to make a single-player game where I don't have to worry about that at all. Um, but the other part of me is like, oh, I really love these type of games. So, uh, you know, it's 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 a balance, right? So, yeah, um, I think we would probably add online multi. We'd add online multiplayer to our future titles. Um, you know, now now we've got the kind of funds and the kind of success to kind of to make that happen. But um, I also just would love to make a, a single-player game because it's like, oh, I don't have to worry about that at all, you know. So, um, yeah, I think it's 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 tough because you want to be a, given unlimited budget, unlimited time with unlimited team. You know, like I can just cherry-pick talented people from around the world to join my team and no worries in HR at all. You know, you, you would do everything you could to make the most awesome game, but you have to, um, you know, make sure your team's, you know, not not getting stressed you work with the team that you've got or the team that you can grow to. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very tough to, you know, to meet the demands of the market, but also the demands Mm -hmm. of players and also demands of, you know, keeping your team happy. So I was going to say, was there any extra work that needed to be done to get it onto Xbox game pass? Cause I know that's something that, um, yeah, moving out on at the moment. Yeah, no, no, that's the, that's the best part of it. it. It's not a huge amount of work. Um, w- what we did have to do was make it work for Windows PC, uh, Windows PC, not Steam. Yep. So because it's on Xbox Game Pass and PC Pass, um, that required a little bit of extra work just to, you know, make it work on the Windows Store. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's literally the same build that you build for Xbox to go into Game Pass. I mean, they 
sorry, pardon me, they, they do the trigger on their end to, you know, whether it's free or not on Game Pass or, you know, yeah, included but, in Game Pass. So, and yeah, have that, you found that's, that it's like... That, that's one of the... Oops, sorry. Oh, no, sorry, I was just going to say, have Go you ahead. found that it's a, uh, a big exposure for moving out to get it into other people's hands and people that wouldn't usually try those kind of games? Yeah, it, it's it's both of those. Um, we had Death Squared on there as well. It just came off. Um, our sales went up on Death... It was an older title, but our sales went up across all the other platforms when we're on um, Game Pass because, you know, more people are playing it. Um, obviously, we think it's got good word of mouth, so there's very little cannibalization between... Because uh, people stay in their lanes, right? So someone who's playing on Switch, there's very few people that are like us where it's like, oh, I have all the consoles. Like, why would I buy it on this? But you know, I've got it on the Xbox Game Pass because I was like, not everyone has every console. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they hear about it from their friends who, you know, like, oh, you play on Xbox. Like, oh, you should check out this this game. So, or they see it. They see it where they normally wouldn't have seen it. They see it being advertised on Game Pass. They're like, oh, I'll check that out. Um, and we had a demo as well, which worked out well. But yeah, I think... There's very few gamers that are across all platforms, and so everyone just stays in, essentially stays in their lane. Um, and you know, if you've got a good game, it definitely helps because people say like, "Oh, it's great! I played on Game Pass. I love it." You know, if you've got a bad game and it's on Game Pass, not that there's many. I don't think they put bad games on there, but you know, <laughs> if it's not performing well, then it only helps with bad word of mouth because people are like, "Oh no, I played it. It's not even worth the free, you know, nine dollars that I paid." Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it, it, it definitely helps. Um, and, you know, that, that program definitely gets people playing games they no, n- never normally would have played as well. So I, I do find the same with Apple Arcade is when you have a choice of all these games, that's when your pick-up-and-play um, mentality of a game definitely helps because people are like, mm-hmm. all right, let's download, you know, I'm going to download seven games and I'm going to play seven games in this next hour because, you know, they're free, right? You know, I've already paid for them. If you can hook them, then they're like, "Oh yeah, that was good." But if you again, if a that your ba- player will bounce really easily if they if they struggle at any point in your game at the start when they're on a subscription pass because they can just go to other games. So that's where I think our game being uh, pick up and play. Same with Death Squared. Like you're you're in the game in like 15 seconds. Like start two player boom. Oh, it's on. You know, like um, moving out a little bit more than that. But you know, you you're playing within a minute. Um, there's some games that don't do that. So I think that's what you have to be wary of if you're on one of those passes is that does your game have that kind of browser mentality where they're just going to flick over to it, play it quickly. Um, so I think there's probably some games that have been burnt by that where the onboarding is very, um, like I said, disrespectful to people's time or or arrogant. You know, sometimes I think some, some game devs are very arrogant in terms of how they, you know, it's like, all right, this is my, you know, my logo's coming in. And it's like, skippable? It's like, no, you can't skip this logo. <laughs> and then it's like, you know, now now the, the menu reveals itself. And it's like, can I skip that? It's like, oh, no, it's like I'm building up. Can you hear the music? So Here's the software um, I used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you, ha- you know, our logo is like, boom, you click, skip it, whatever, man. Skip, skip, skip. I don't want to see your logos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's probably something that will be a bit of a mind shift that people have to have a little bit more pickup and playability if your game's on these subscription passes. Um, you know, it's, it's probably this, you know, that's why uh, was it WandaVision was like so different because it's like, oh, this is a show that requires you to get to episode four before it kind of, or even episode three before it reveals its, you know, kind of twist. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas shows, you know, have to like kind of 
hook you in very quickly and then it's like all right i've got you for the whole season now um because you can just like well i didn't pay for it. it's like boom i'm, I'm bored i'm gonna move yeah. to the next show so mm. um so yeah i hadn't really thought about that but yeah that kind of pick up and play mentality probably helps us on those platforms a bit again completely different if you're kojima or someone you know you've got a huge yeah. ip behind you because they'll be like oh you know i know that that the game gets good the game gets good after 10 hours like <laughs> You know, you can only get away with that if you're a very, very popular game already. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 Um, no disrespect to Kojima. I just mean, like, <laughs> he, he, just works, he just works yeah. on a different plane. You know, he's, he's yeah, at a yeah. different level that the rules don't apply to him because yeah. he's, and he's, and he's earned the ability to, to do that, you know. Um, yeah. Whereas I think everyone else down on the mortal plane, uh, you have to be, you know, very careful how you treat your uh, player's time. Yeah, he literally flies in the face of all the rules. Like, Metal Gear Solid 5, every level has a credits, and it's his name over everything. It's a two-minute <laughs> yeah. introduction to every level. There's 50 levels yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and he can do that, and he's earned that. And um, and also, I think you expect it from him as well. So it's, it's almost like this, uh, you know, it fuels itself. Um but yeah, I think if you if you go into it as a as a new game dev or a small game dev and and think, well, you know, Kojima or you know these other games do this, so we're going to do it as well. It's like you, you you'll, you'll find that people will struggle because it's like, oh, who are you? And it's like, no, mm-hmm. no, no, no. You know, you have to entertain me first, and then you know. So yeah, his legacy, um, you know, he deserves he he's earned it, so he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah. Until you're a rock star game dev, you, you can't really you got to abide by the rules, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So rock, Rockstar can do whatever they want. You know, you'll you'll put up with you know an hour's worth of just intro. You know, and they, they've earned it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Costa, I thought you were gonna talk about the. Uh, <laughs> would you want? Because your internet's oh, so bad, yeah. Costa. Yeah, like, I know I'm it like, is. I don't I know gonna... if he's about to say something or not. <laughs> so well, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. I was gonna say um, with Apple Arcade and and working with them, what what was it like um, hmm. getting the? I guess getting the process. You know the, the process of getting it on there and also developing for it, and uh, I guess how does it affect the monetization or different things like that of the game? So a lot of mobile games might you know have um, in-app purchases and that sort of stuff, but I guess with with Apple Arcade you've got you know just a one subscription fee and it's just the game that you get with all the different ones. So did it affect it in any way in the game design of of the things that you were looking to make for those games? Yeah, I mean, it affects it in a in a good way because we don't have to worry. I mean, the the one of the big issues is with mobile games is just the amount of SDKs, SDKs like software and different plugins and stuff you have to put into your game to run all the different ads. Um, and because we don't have to have that, it's like cool. There's a lot of debugging time and a lot of uh, stress removed from that, so we can just focus on the game. And then also, you know, we definitely wanted to make sure the onboarding was nice and smooth. We didn't want to lose people because it's like so abstract or too hard. But we didn't have to worry about, um, you know, hooking someone so then they go like, oh, we want you to spend money so you get this, you know, shiny new character. We can just have a really simple economy. So as you keep playing, you unlock more stuff in the game. And that's that's much simpler when it's like the more you progress, the more the more you get versus like, all right, so how do we make it so they get to a point where like we want them to spend money? You know, and to be honest, like we've struggled as a studio to games like that because... It, you have to actually be pretty evil um, to do that kind of stuff. 
And as evil as we, you know, as capitalistic as, as I think I am, I'm not as I'm not on the evil side. And I'm always like, wow, that seems like really annoying hoops you have to jump through. But those are the ones that monetize well because it's like, so you don't have to worry about that stuff. So you can just focus on the game, um, which is good. And then the other big one that changes it is um, with mobile, you want the file size to be as small as possible because, you know, you want maximum downloads because you know you're going to lose a lot of people. But, you, you know, so you try and get as small as possible. But with Apple Arcade, it's like we can be a little bit more looser with the file size in terms of adding more content and richness. So we wanted to add different themes. We wanted to add, you know, really rich soundtrack. We didn't want to compress everything to make it look bitsy. So we could, you know, have a lot more um, quality on that sense. And we could add more, you know, you know, the characters will be like fully animated, like little, our characters are quite simple, but, you know, we can then go to town on the kind of effects and stuff when you collect stuff, make it really juicy without having to worry about file size. And, you know, that speeds up your process where it's like, oh, I want to add this really nice new theme. It's like, oh, how do we compress it down so it can't be any more than like five meg? It's like, no, we can go to town on it. Um, obviously, we're not going to be gig- gigabytes, but um, we can then focus on just making the, the art look amazing. Um, and we're, we st- we got an artist, uh, Shaniva, so she's doing an uh, Indigenous Australian app, uh, indigenous australian theme and so we kind of scanned her artwork in she'd never worked digitally before so we scanned her artwork in and worked with her to kind of digitize it and do all the little um you know tiling elements and that was great so we didn't have to worry about you know how do we break this down to be the 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 tiniest tile set we can have a really big tile and make you know make it look really rich and we're going to work with other artists um to have them create their own themes and then we'll work it into the game and that's really you know that's a really good way for us to give back to other artists that we want to work with that are too busy to work on a full game, they can work on a theme. Mm. Um, but also we don't have to worry about file size where it's like, oh, every you know, you can give me one more theme, but it has to be really vector and simple ash. It's like, no, it can be anything we want. So so that's good. Um, yeah, so th- those are the kind of, not shackles, but the kind of burdens taken off when you go with Apple Arcade that make it easier to kind of focus on the game. Um, and, and also, um, you know, our games, our game is a very hyper casual game so it could kind of work but there's other games on apple arcade that never would have got made unless they're on apple arcade because they were too too commercially risky or mm-hmm. too too obscure and eclectic and i think that's an important part as well there's some games where um wow without apple arcade like it would have been really hard to make that as a premium title on mobile to that level because the market just doesn't exist there for it um sping we could have made you know very simple graphics uh, made it hyper casual filled it with ads and we could have released it. So, you know, that would have worked. But there's other games that, you know, would not have worked um, commercially um, without Apple Arcade support. So I think that's a really important thing as well. Like, um, I, I, was, I think I was saying to someone else, like, you'll see the effect of Apple Arcade over the next few years because there's been studios created or studios funded from these games. And they've games that never would have got created. And so now they've had time to actually put the, you know, the creative freedom to do what, do what they want. And and so these fresh ideas are, you know, now they can go to other platforms or more Apple Arcade titles. So you'll see the effect of that over the next three to five years where it's, again, Apple Arcade, like almost like Newgrounds alumni would be like Apple Arcade alumni that are like, wow, we made our first game on Apple Arcade. That helped, you know, give the support for the studio to do more games. Then you've got to have a hit out of the gate or, you know, it's a mobile free-to-play title that are really popular now or a hyper-casual title. You know, you're getting more experiences. So... Yeah, so there's, it's it's kind of it's good in many ways. Um, the the only downside I would say is that we have to make it work on 
you know, every Apple platform. And so luckily for our game, our controls are really simple. So it works on Apple TV, but that's, that's one of the, you know, I wish it could just be on the phone or, or the iPad, but um, you know, to make it work for the whole ecosystem just requires a lot more QA. Um, so, you know, but the good thing is it's kind of set QA. Mm-hmm. It's like, these are all the devices, make it work. Just means I have to then go and buy like, oh, a new iPhone, like, oh, got to buy two, <laughs> two new iPhones. And it's like, no, no, not two, three. It's like, oh, got like three <laughs> new phones. Um, so we're, you know, we've got our suite of, uh, Apple phones. The worst part is that you buy a really expensive phone and it just sits in a box, you know, yeah. like, uh, cause, cause you can't say like, you say like, oh, you can just use it. But then it's like, you'd be like, oh, I need that phone for testing. It's like, oh no, I'm on a, I'm on a call. Or it's like, oh no, I dropped it. I dropped it while skiing. And it's like, no, no, no. So, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, but yeah, it, with nothing's ever free, you know, nothing's without the cons, but the pros far outweigh the cons on, on a project like that. Are there any services that like um like you could simulate the iPhone on a computer, or is it you you need that tactile feedback? Uh, I mean, you can for resolution, so we do that just to make sure you know it all fits dynamically. But um, it's not just the um the tactile feel, which which is important as well. Like, how does it feel on a you know a, on an iPad? And you know, like, oh, that button's too far away, or you know, like you have to hold the phone, you have to hold the device in a different way. Um, but also the CPU side as well, which you can emulate, but it's not not perfect because also the those devices, because we kind of run them just as test devices, we don't get the the perfect test case where it's like, oh, this person has two hundred applications open, mm-hmm. they're running a they're running their email, and it's running really hot because it's been in their their pocket the whole day. And now play your game, you know, like our our ones like freshly booted up, ready Mm -hmm. to go. So it's not a perfect test case, but at least, you know, you know, if the device starts running hot, how does it affect or does it make the device run hot? You know, so you kind of need to have those, um, uh, those devices to test properly. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, it's expensive. Your, your you know. Internet's gone again, Costa. My, my internet's okay. It's better now. Oh, you look, yeah, you look fine to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah we can see you now. Switch to my mobile yeah. hotspot, so it's better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the true Aussie uh, internet experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. it is. Yeah. I, just, I just got new internet put in here because um, normally I'd go off my phone, but it seems, seems to be working fine. I even bought like Wi-Fi extenders, but... Yeah. I'm, because last time it was really bad, but I've got like a big modem, like the modem's like this big and it's, yeah. it's fine everywhere. So I'm like, oh, I don't need, don't need these extenders, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely, a, or it rains. It's like, oh, why is the internet bad? Oh, it's raining. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> like, all right. Yeah. Australia for you. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. One of the things like we always, uh, I guess, ask the guests like um, towards the end is, um, especially when you're, because you're in Sydney, Melbourne. Uh, Sydney. Yeah. Sydney. Sorry, I should, I should get that right. That's um, right. Uh, very, obviously, different ecosystems around the place. So we're in Adelaide and um, yep. we're, I mean, I don't know if the word's reached over there, but we're definitely playing catch up with our game industry, trying to get to your yeah. levels. Oh, you know, doing, doing quite well now. Yeah, it's quite a, yeah. quite a big buzz happening. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We've been definitely getting some more government support and stuff like that. And, um, you know, you, you guys have uh, got the worked with uh, Screen Australia before when you got your funding Um, and that was you know a while ago so are there things that you can like 
basically what, what what needs to exist for basically SMG studios to start if there was like another one starting, hopefully not, you know, an exact other one, <laughs> someone doing their own yeah. thing. But Identical copy. Yeah. If yeah. you were starting today, <laughs> what were you... What would you need? What would SMG Studio need? Basically, like, yeah. what could, does your ecosystem have it? Yeah, um, I mean, Sydney, or Mel- you know, New South Wales doesn't really fund games like uh, Melbourne. Melbourne does. Mm-hmm. Um, there is Austrade where you can get like an export development media grant, so you can kind of offset some of your marketing costs. But I think what what was different about our funding for Screen Australia was it was enterprise, so it was like we're we're giving you funding for the company not for a game and so it was you know like for th- it was three years funding um we, we paid it back within a year and a half but it was the idea was three years funding and then we would repay 50 percent back and that was you know no interest um and i think that's important to fund you know at a company level than just games and it's good to have a mix of both obviously um but for us we were the only studio that was funded that hadn't shipped a commercial title before. We'd only done Adver Games. Um, everyone else had already shipped multiple titles. Um, they got the same um, of the 10 studios that got funding. Um, so we were the outlier. But I think that that just gave us a bit of a runway. So I think that that needs to exist where there's a bit of funding for um, a runway. And for us, existing company to say, hey, we've got an existing business, but we want to take a small part of that team and let them dedicate creating their own IP and this is how much we need. And for us, it was 150,000 a year. Um, and then we, we'd repay 50% of that back. Um, and so that, that was enough for us to go and to kind of have the, um, uh, the ability to kind of not just do client work, but dedicate on ourselves. Um, so, you know, it's not huge amounts of money um, for some people that is, but you know, for, you know, for putting four people uh, on full salaries, you know, for a year, you know, we were like, well, we'll, we'll also put in our money as well. Uh, but you, you just need that bit of runway. And because games take a while. So, you know, even if you said tomorrow, like, let's go, um, the quickest you could get, you know, a lot of games would be 12 months, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're working on your pipeline. So you need that runway to kind of, you know, build your, build your pipeline and then release a game and then sustain a game rather than just funding for just a game um can work as well but it doesn't give you as much like it funding for a game already expects you to have a game ready to go and so that's be a bit of sweat equity and sometimes that's hard when you've already got client work coming on so i i think what what what's needed is that almost the same model it's like ha, have a you know have some funding that it has a has a repay a repay um element to it 25 percent, 50 percent over time but then give them a three-year window um enough to kind of you know or a four or a five year window to kind of uh, get to where they need to be. So um, it looks like there's, I mean, the steps are happening. Um, you know, we're, we're getting closer to have some of the producer offsets or that's happening in Adelaide, I think, or South Australia and Victoria, but they they are, those, those offsets are like, if you're already going to spend a million or 500,000, you can get some money back. It, 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 it's getting those people that are like, well, I can't spend $500,000. I don't even have that. So, mm. you know, it, it needs to, grow that that sector of you know we need both we need support at the top end for the bigger studios so they can hire juniors um and bigger being you know 100 plus then you need support for like us around the 20 to 50 mark and then you need support for those like two to five person operations um or two two to ten you know um so it has to happen at all all levels and right now i think if you're at the very top level you can get a little bit you know like 10 percent back 
if you're at the medium size and you have a uh, what do you call it a, a an established um, you know a game or you know you have established credentials you can then get some game funding but at the smaller level it's much harder so yeah kind of kind of be at all three tiers but the screen australia fund was the the model makes sense because you, like, you get money and you pay it back and that money then funds the next one so you know by the end of it it's like it's costing the government nothing because it's just mm. this self-perpetuating fund um even if they said like we pay you 100 you give us 200 back in five years it'd be like well that's good you know it's like interest free but you have to pay it back like that would work um so there's different models there you know and depending on the risk you know perception of the of who they're funding that that could happen so it could be like okay you pay 50 percent back or you pay 100 percent back or you pay double back you know um give people options yeah um yeah nice and how um i guess one other thing with that is uh um how close is the sydney game development community like does everyone know what dhl is working on or is it too big for that kind of thing it's it's not as close-knit as it as it could be um we're very still spread out like we set up our office now is um game so game plus uh run the um, co-working space that our office is in because we had a really big office with my previous company then we shrunk it down and i said well i've got all this empty space uh but i don't have time to run a co-working space so game plus who run the one in adelaide and they won run in canberra um they came on board to kind of manage it which has been great and so um you know we have a few people in there but there's still pockets you know there's people out in western sydney there's people um up in north sydney or you know uh, blowfish and uh, people in the central and you know i think some people it's like well we've got our space and like we're good like we don't need to co-work mm-hmm. um be great if more of us did because you get that it's just those little interactions and meetings that happen around it that mm-hmm. um are really invaluable and people get to see other people um but yeah i, I don't think it's as close as it can could be but you know there's still still a little bit of a scene there but it really depends it's it's grass is always greener like you see other you know maybe vancouver or somewhere in canada it's like oh it seems like they're meeting up all or seattle like oh they're meeting up all the time it's like looks the best and then you talk to other ones where it's like oh like you know we never meet other studios you know so Mm -hmm. yeah it's it could it could always be better um we do have like beer and pixels which is run by the igda group Mm -hmm. um a lot of students go to those um sometimes it's like it's at bar broad it's at broadway but it's like you know, there might be like 50 to 100 people there at a time, you know, um, still drinking involved in that one. But um, uh, but you don't have to. And, you know, there's a lot of people just whack up a laptop and have some playtesting and stuff. So, um, you know, th- there are events happening there. Uh, but, yeah, it, c- it could al- it could always be better, you know. Yeah. It's just, t- it's just time, yeah, you know. Like it is. If, if I didn't have kids and a wife, I'd be like, oh, I could spend all my time, you know. So w- when I was you know, in my tw- early twenties and I was running a company, it's like, Oh, I, you know, I had doing things as much as I could. And then you slowly get to like, Oh, I've run, <laughs> I've run out of energy <laughs> or it's like, I need, I need my own me time. And the thought of sometimes it's like, it was so busy at work in terms of, you know, constant communication, the thought of then going to a crowded place and talking to a lot of people, it's like, Oh, it's like, I just want to sit and watch, you know, YouTube videos on my phone yeah. laying on my side in bed, <laughs> eating like, you know, pretzels and not pretzels um <laughs> pokey sticks you know yeah, 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 so yeah. that's that's my idea of a great friday night sometimes so um yeah it it, it requires you know the the kind of more young and you know keen ones so what, what we've done for game plus is like we've put that space open so there's been people that have had like ball game nights it's like just use the space you know 
I don't want to organize it. If you want to use the space so that they've run, you know, game, uh, board game nights and stuff, it's, it's great because it's like just go in there, design either sometimes they're designing them and playtesting them or just playing board games. You know, that, and when I'm leaving and seeing people doing that, it's like, ah, oh, it's the best feeling because it's like, mm-hmm. great, they're using the space and like i don't i don't need to do anything you know and that's that's why i really wanted game plus to run it because it's to run a game space um co-working space is a lot of work but as long as i could make it happen by giving the space out there um you know that's pretty satisfying so you can empower others to 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 actually post things themselves yeah yeah and just saying out there it's like you know if you need a space like whether it's a small gathering or you know even for some it's like hey if you need to have like a, a pitch meeting or something you have it in here like don't feel mm. shy don't be shy about using that space um because i just want it to be more of a central spot where people can you know utilize it um we're hopefully doing something with um vivid um soon which would be good vivid ideas mm-hmm. so that'd be good maybe that's maybe that's not announced but yeah <laughs> well hopefully doing something like that so just um you know that little area in um ultimo like across the road like literally you could probably throw a golf ball at it. Is wargaming across oh, across yeah. the road? Yep, yep, yep. Um, so they're they you know they're in you know one build one building across and uh, there. So you know it's a really good little um, spot. But yeah, I'd love more studios to come in. I think it's just over time. You know, asking people to like, hey, you just can you move your office over? They're like, oh, they got leases and stuff. But hopefully, um, we'll get more and more in there. And then later on, I think we're trying to move to the tech precinct. You know, that would be an even bigger space, you know, with Atlassian, you know, their big oh, yeah, wooden yeah. building and all the other tech companies. It's like, great, just give us a, a zone, a bigger zone for games. Um, and then we could probably set up some VR spots and that. Uh, but that's the ultimate goal is to you know, fill the spot we're in now, get to the point where like we're full. And then we, we go to the government. It's like, hey, look, you know, we'll fill this spot with all these studios. So mm. uh, fingers crossed that can happen because although we're still working from home quite a lot, I think ultimately it's we're going to, you know, have a hybrid model where we'd go back in. Mm-hmm. And I think for some smaller studios, like work from home, but then have your sprint meetings in, you know, in a studio together and don't have them at a bar or something like that. You know, have them here where there's facilities and um, and have playtest sessions, like, you know, run them at our, you know, Game Plus. Um, yeah, just trying to make it, you know, be a lot more like a central hub mm-hmm. for games. Yeah. That's, That's awesome. Yeah. Great um, idea. Another thing we like to ask is if you could give one piece of advice to aspiring game devs, what would it be? <laughs> uh, oh, there's, there's heaps. Uh, but the, the easiest one is just whatever, like do the smallest game you can think of and, and ship it. Like put it on mobile or put it on itch or put it on Steam. Um, and when I think in small, I'm thinking like make Pong. Just make Pong with your own graphics or if you can't do graphics, then collaborate with an artist Put it on Steam, and and you'll be surprised because then just this process of going through Steam or even Itch or mobile, there's a lot of these like little hidden steps or you know making the store artwork and going through that, and just knowing the process because you might then go for a job later on and you're the you've shipped a game but that studio has never shipped a game. It's like mm. it's like oh I've shipped I've shipped a game on Steam. I was like it was Pong, but you yeah. know yeah um, I did it myself because just finishing. And going through that final step is such a different feeling than just having a lot of half-baked prototypes. So, yeah, make the tiniest thing you can think of that you can control the scope on. And I'm, and I'm talking like Pong, Breakout, Minesweeper, whatever. Collaborate with an artist or and get a musician, you know, and just finish it and do that. And then that, that will get you a run on the board. So, you know, it's like when you write a to-do list, like you write the to-do list and you start ticking them off rather than just write, you know, 
make game. It'd be like, no, just write out the whole list. And one of them's like, ship that game. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think th- that's the biggest advice. Just make the smallest little thing you can do, but shipping it is a really important part. And um, and then you just get, and then just slowly increase the scope of what you're doing. Um, you know, it's like, you know, if you're going to make a, a film, make a short film, but don't even make a short film, make like a 30 second, like TikTok or, you know, like make mm. a really simple video. Um, Cause you'll just learn from that. Cause otherwise you'll spend so long just prepping, you know, all right, I got all my lights set up and, you know, you, you over, you over, overproduce your, your first thing. So, and, and the second one I always say is um, collaborate with people as well. Like if you can't do art, find someone who can do art and collaborate together. Um, or if you can do art, find an artist, find a programmer who doesn't do that. That, that, that works really well in game jams because there's always people like, you know, oh, I do this, I do that, great. You know, and you're kind of forced into this um, 48-hour, you know, thing. But you can do that without the, the constraints of the 48-hour game jam. Um, and, and collaboration, like I used to do um, a lot of weird stuff on the internet. Like, you know, I had, I had one time like multiple uh, blogs um you know and i'd collaborate with people um or i'd always email people like if i see someone that does something cool i'd be like hey i love your work um you're a great ass i'd love to collaborate at some point in the time but just want to say love your work and you know i've met some amazing artists doing that and eventually i've slowly got around to working with with a lot of them um but even just emailing people to say you know hey i love your work when you get those type of emails, it's like yourself, you're like, oh, it makes you feel so good. So, mm. you know, I used to tell people, it's like, hey, this week, make sure you send five emails a week just to, to people that, of, that are doing stuff out there that you like. And don't expect anything back other than just tell them that you like their work. Because um, you'll be surprised, you know, the kind of connections you can make. So, yeah, collaborate and, you know, work really, really tiny. That's a really good piece of advice, especially that last one of reaching out to people. That's that wouldn't yeah. come naturally, a natural thought to a lot of people to do that. That's really, really great. Yeah, it's it's like I find if if Twitter didn't have that ability of so many talented people sharing their work, I'd never be on there. But there's so many you find so many random uh, creative people on Twitter, um, and you know either follow them and a lot of times just like yeah, love love your stuff or collaborate. Like the artist that I did initially, I I, I emailed a band, uh, a Sydney band called Urban, and I said like. I heard your song on, was it, it wasn't even on Triple J. I was like, I heard your song on 2SER. I love it. Uh, I want to make your website. And they were like, oh, yeah, whatever, let's do it. And um, I did their website and I learned a lot doing that. And, you know, they were like a completely different world to me. Um, but that was cool. And then I, an artist called um, Nathan, J- oh, I can't even say his last name, Nathan J, Nathan Jervericus. But we did, uh, I've done multiple things with him. Uh, we made a game for the ABC. We did his website at one point. Um, I did a website for the toy company that he was doing his toys through. Wow. Um, I'm st- and we still stayed in touch now. Um, um, he named his first son what I wanted to call my son. And I was like, no, I can't call my son that. Because <laughs> Nathan just named his son. So I had to like wait seven years to wait name my son that. <laughs> Second son. Um, but, you know, that was just a random email. I was like, wow, his stuff's – I don't even know how I stumbled onto his work. But you'll find people, you know, um, artists, musicians – just yeah send him an email and just say i do this i love your stuff and then you know maybe we can work together in the future if not just want to just want to say you know big fan so it's that networking getting out there yeah and and at that point i was 
Yeah, even at that point, I wasn't even thinking of it like as a networking thing. Like this is before LinkedIn was around, mm. but it was just more, just more um, that you see people and you're like, wow. You're like a lot of times, I look at look at art and I go, oh, I'd love to make a game in that style. You know, like just like you know, when we did No Way Home, you know, Scott uh, Scott Van Van Bosch, I loved his work and I was like, we just have to make a game in your style. Like, you know, I love it so much that I can already see the world coming to life. So. Um, Sometimes we operate like that, and that's why we made Sping as well, so we could make different themes. I'd be like, "Hey, artists, like, can you make a theme for us?" And that's all you need to do. You can, you can com- complete creative freedom. You can do whatever you want, mm-hmm. and that sometimes for an artist is really good because it's like normally they're working to a brief or they've got a, you know, it's a lot of work and they can't fit it in. But we're like, oh, you can just do a theme, and you can do it as you can take, you know, six months to do the theme. You can do anything you want. So kind of like working around their schedules. Um, so that's, that's always fun. So creating games to create opportunities to collaborate is also fun as well. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I think maybe I'm, maybe I'm a natural, uh, networker, but like that for me has been, you know, really rewarding, you know, um, Mm. and I used to run a a blog about CD covers, Mm -hmm. um, and, or just review, you know, CD cover art. And I learned a lot of different, um, you know, I, did, I studied graphic design, but I still learned a lot about design by doing that. And also I met a lot of people, I expanded my, my music knowledge quite a lot. Um, but that was fun as well. And just, you know, met different musicians and um, yeah. So if you can find it, if you can turn it, I don't want to monetize all the passions, but if you can turn it into something that you can do regularly yeah. or, you know, coll- and collaborate and create something, you know, say, hey, I took your piece of music or your piece of art and I animated it or i did something with it it's really obviously you ask for their permission um that's i find that really rewarding as well for sure that's awesome that's awesome wish I, yeah wish I, could, wish I could get paid to do that uh, but <laughs> yeah, game, get, get, games we could um but yeah i think the i think it's just good it, it also you'd be surprised like the like for the amount of um complaints people get of their stuff versus uh positive ones Sometimes it's, you know, completely out of whack, but you remember those positive ones. Like now we kind of, sometimes we print out really nice emails and we put on, we've got a poll of positivity in the office, yeah. <laughs> you know, because um, it's really easy to focus on the, you know, the complaints. Because you see a complaint, you're like, oh, okay, they're complaining and they're very rude, but what they're saying is actually a usability problem we have. So we'll fix it, but they're very rude. Um, <laughs> just, I just wish they would talk to us like humans. And then other times yeah. it's like, wow, you know, this person will, you know, say they played your game and had a great time with their family. We get a lot of people like, you know, really connected with my kid. We had a great time. And it's like, wow, you know, just really boosts boost you up. So if you can do the same, whether you're, a, you know, a professional or, you know, just a player, you know, a consumer player, you know, spreading that positivity, you know, really helps. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, Ashley, thank you so much for yeah. joining us. Uh, thank you. Interesting guy, but more importantly, you're a good guy. So thank you for spending the time <laughs> I, with us. I, I, I try to be, uh, you know, no one's perfect, but um, yeah, I think every everyone tries to, you know, be good in their own way. I'm just lucky I've got enough um, uh, facilities now to kind of give back and, and help where I can. So, you know, you've got to use your power, power wisely, I think. Yeah, That's it, for sure. Perfectly said. Great. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you.